So we're moving. We spent the last three weeks focusing on um, the body. So just establishing ourselves in the breath and in the body. Just kind of waking up into this experience of being a human being um, in this sort of anywhere between <laughs> five and seven foot tall space. Um, yeah, so we're just, that, that's been the work. It's just sort of arriving and um, developing an appreciative inquiry into what that experience is like. So we've connected with the um, actual experience of breathing rather than an idea of what the breath is in the body. Um, we've connected with um, the senses. So all, all of the, um, the fullness of the, or the totality, you could say, of the experience of how we know we're embodied. Um, so you could ask yourself, like, how do I know I'm alive? Well, breathing, I'm breathing, that's a good. <laughs> I used to um, have to get trained as a first aider, because uh, I used to work with kids, and the first thing you'd do is check that some, if someone's breathing, right? That's like a very vital thing, so. Check that the airway is clear, <laughs> you're ready to go. Um, and then the other, you know, then there's, well, how do you know you're breathing? So you just keep asking the question, okay, so you're breathing, but how do you know you're breathing? Well, there's sensations, yeah, that come and go with the breath. So we're just getting curious about that. And then what else is happening? Well, there's sounds, there's sight, there's colors, um, light, darkness in the eyes, form, movement. Um, there's, there's sensations in the body, so, uh, tingling, tightness, heat, cold, um, itch, pain, um, pleasant sensations. Um, th so there's a whole kind of, uh, you could say, plethora of, of bodily sensations. Um, nose, mouth, so smell, taste, and then finally the mind and thoughts arising in the mind. So, you know, we're just we're quite simple, really. <laughs> just all can get deduced down to that, really. That's what's happening at any given moment. So in any moment we could just say, what's happening? And just check those six doorways, gateways, and just see what's going on within the fullness of that experience, yeah? And then, um, so we, so that was the body and establishing ourselves in the body. And then we did, we did a bit of work around um, just sitting practice and how we can kind of um, build the, the muscle of being able to move from a very focused, refined awareness of something quite specific like the breath to a more wide, open, expansive, broad holding of the fullness of, of, the, of the experience of being embodied, yeah? And that we can move in between those two kinds of, of mindfulness, you could say, a focused awareness and a more open monitoring, um, you could say pure awareness, yeah? A big, a big container. Um, and that that can be a support to the practice. So at any point, if we're feeling like, you know, one, two, you know, you just, it's all getting a bit too much, then you can just ah, open out and then come back to the focus. Um, and then metta, of course, as a, you could say it, something that saturates the, full, the whole practice. So always doing everything with a spirit or an intention of metta. Um, so when we come back to the breath, we're doing that in a non-judgmental, appreciative way. When we notice a pain in the body, it's, oh, ouch, that hurts. 
Mm, there's pain. What is it? What is that pain? How is it? Oh, it's changing. Yeah, so we're just getting interested. And now we're moving into the next tetrad. So things are starting to get a bit more subtle, more refined as the body calms. So calming the body, we breathe in, calming the body, we breathe out. Then something else will start to happen. So as I said in the first week, the um, sutta is both a set of instructions on in how to work with the mind and also a description of what will naturally happen if we just sit and bring attention to the breath. So the, the Buddha was saying, look, if you do this, this will happen. And just look and see, give it a try and see if this will happen. Yeah, so, um, so we're coming into this whole area of feeling with these very strange words like rapture and bliss. <laughs> it all sounds really exciting, which it can be. So I want to spend the first half of this evening um, actually talking about um, the dhyana factors, of which rapture and bliss are, are two. Um, and we'll explore them through a, a lead practice and then a bit of inquiry, um, which is me basically asking you what you noticed and you telling me and then me digging a bit more and then you telling me a bit more and everyone else hopefully listening and learning from that. Um, and yeah, if, I'm, if you feel like I, I'm digging too much, you can always say, it's enough, I don't want to go into it anymore. And I can be a bit persistent. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have a break and we'll come back and we do, we'll do a bit more around, um, around what Kamala Sheila's translation is mental formations. Um, I, I actually like to just use the word Vedana. It just, it's just, it just is what it is. So it's, it's, it's what happens when there's a feeling um, of either neutral, pleasant or painful in the body. Um, do, you know, what is it that we do with that? Yeah. So even just, even just labeling it actually is as painful, pleasant or neutral is interesting. And then what do we do after that? So there's like a process there. Um, Larry Rosenberg refers to it as mental processes, so his translation is mental processes, mental formations, or Vedana. And I'll say more about that when we get to there. So that sound like a good plan for this evening? Okay, so you can sit comfortably because I'm going to talk for a bit and then we'll do a lead practice. Or lay comfortably. Okay, so um, dhyana is one of these words that I think has had an interesting history in our movement. And um, I think it's really important to demystify, actually, because it, it's something that happens sometimes for some people. Um, and I think as practitioners, well, I know actually from my own experience and also from teaching a lot that it's a, it's a tricky area because um, we're, you know, we like things that feel good and we want that to continue. And when we start meditating, we don't really know the territory. So when and if dhyana happens, uh, it can feel like oh, this is it, like this is what I've been working for. And then we just want to hold on to that feeling. <laughs> and, uh, and then the next time we go to, to meditate, if it's not there, then we get into a whole load of stuff around, 
what am I doing wrong? Why isn't it here? I'm failing. Um, I must be doing something wrong. I must be, uh, or I don't have the right teacher. Or this isn't the movement for me. I need to go to some other teacher who's going to help me get into dhyana more often. <laughs> or whatever, whatever our, our story is. So if that sounds familiar, um, I guess the most important thing to know is that that's perfectly normal. That's part of the process. And then, that, and then we just work with that in a way. So um, what's fantastic about, about this sutta is that the Buddha is saying, look, this happens. And we apply the middle way to this as we do to every other experience. So in anything else that's happening, we're not, um, we're, we're, what we're trying to do is change our relationship to what's happening. So, so to not be unconscious about how we relate. So in the beginning of the class, um, I think in the first week, I was, I was quoting from Lama Govinda about how what's the, one of the reasons why we use the breath as a focus is because the breath is something that we do quite unconsciously. So by bringing conscious awareness to the breath, we're training ourselves to become conscious of the things that we do that are unconscious. So the breath is like a medium or a doorway into all the other things that are unconscious that, that we're bringing into the light, out of the shadows into the light. So, um, so why was I talking about that? <laughs> yeah, so with Dhyana, we do the same thing. So we, we, we will relate to Dhyana in a quite an unconscious way at first. So we'll, we'll do whatever we do around pleasant sensations, whatever our habit is. And then eventually we wake up in the middle of all that, like, oh, I'm doing it. <laughs> Look, I'm doing it again. And that's a moment, it's a great moment, because we can just see the habit. And then we can begin to relate to it differently. So I am incredibly um, guilty of this. I'm a, a huge greed type. I love uh, all things comfortable and pleasant. And um, so for me, like I had to go through my own process of, of just allowing whatever was happening, just really deeply just allowing it to, to happen and allowing it to end, like allowing for then the, the dhyana to move on and for something else to happen, which is dropping into even deeper stillness, dropping into even deeper um, sense of, of uh, habit patterns sort of starting to loosen and dissolve, and then to move into the territory of, of real Vipassana practice which can happen at any point. So you don't need dhyana for that, but it helps. So it's a conditioning factor for the, for the whole kind of psychophysical organism to actually be able to handle what's coming next, which is, um, you know, hopefully, ultimately, full liberation from ego clinging or from all the ways that we think we exist in the world. So we're not, um, this isn't child's play. It's pretty serious stuff, and it can feel really good. So the middle way is to enjoy, but not hold on to, or think we know, or think we can make anything happen. We're just enjoying kind of the magical display of what can happen in a body that, that calms, and maybe doesn't happen for everyone. So again, you know, we're going to be talking this evening about certain experiences that maybe you don't relate to. And so then, it's great because then you can be with the part of you that gets frustrated if something's not happening that you think should be happening. So it's all like um, John Kabat-Zinn says, everything is the curriculum. So no matter what's happening, you can work with that. You can work with your relationship with that.
But the first step is to become conscious of what you're doing in relationship to it. So if you're just blissing out in dhyana, then that's not really meditating. You may as well be, you know, eating a really nice bowl of ice cream or something. I always say happiness is in the ice cream, it's just temporary. <laughs> it's the only difference between ice cream and enlightenment. <laughs> that's not true. It's not true. Um, okay, so yeah, so there's this word rapture um, or pity in the uh, Pali. So, okay, so actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up first because um, the Dhyana factors actually show up in the first tetrad. So there's five factors, so I'll just name them and then I'll go back and talk about each one. So the first factor is um, what I like to refer to as mind-directed. Um, vitaka. So it's, it's, the men, it's, it's amazing, actually. We have these, this mind that can actually somehow direct itself to experience. So we can actually choose, I'm going to look at this book and read it, or I'm going to put my attention on my breath, or I'm going to focus on this person that's talking to me and really be with them. So we can um, direct our attention. So that's, that's amazing that we can do that, and that we can know we're doing it. And we can kind of um, know, hopefully, eventually when we're not doing it. Yeah. So there's that, that moment in the practice where we wake up to not being with the breath anymore, and then we redirect. So it's like direct and redirect. Yeah. So we have that capacity. And then once the mind has direct, been directed, then we have the capacity to sustain attention on the object. So mind directed and then mind attentive. So attending to, in a sustained way, the object. And that's the muscle that we build through coming back to the breath over and over again. Yeah. Is, is the capacity to direct and then maintain awareness. And then any, I'm sure all of you have the experience, or you wouldn't be here, that a, as you keep doing that, you, that attentive muscle gets stronger. Yeah, so you're able to sustain awareness of the object for longer periods of time in a more deep way. So those are the first two factors. So when I say factors, what I mean is, um, the qualities or capacity that's a, that's uh, present when one is in dhyana. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the details of all eight dhyanas because that's a whole other thing. So this is just sort of an introduction to what, if you're thinking, am I in dhyana? You could check to see if these kind of qualities are present. Yeah, is the mind able to sustain awareness, to direct and sustain awareness? So those are the first two, and then so this word. PT or rapture, I just think raptures, it's just, it reminds me of the Bible or something, the rapture. Um, it's such a weird word. I don't relate to it at all. Um, so I, I like to just use the word PT, yeah. So um, <coughs> this, is, this is a term that's used to describe um, an experience where the body, in a way that the body begins to unblock, so where there's tension in the body, where, where there's holding, begins to loosen in the calming process, yeah, the fourth verse, calming the body, I breathe in, calming the body, I breathe out. And so what can happen is you can start to um, tune into what can be very, very subtle, but eventually grow into quite intense 
uh, sort of bubbling up or tingling. So even just now, actually, as you're sitting and listening to me, there may be somewhere in the body where this is happening. So we can actually be in touch with these factors, these qualities, all the time, not just in meditation. And sometimes, listening to the Dharma, I can get... Like, there's that, um, that thing that people describe, like, getting, um, like, the hairs on the back of your head rising or, um, or getting goosebumps. Yeah, that's, that's like PT. It's like a, a, a release of energy in the body that can be very, very pleasurable. Music, a really beautiful piece of music, or looking at a gorgeous sunset or a beautiful piece of art or the, the shrine. So there's things that can kind of evoke that sense of freedom, that sense of release. Um, sometimes Vijamala refers to this as like the seeds of release or the taste of freedom <coughs> in the physical body. So that's rapture. <laughs> and then, um, and then, the, and then, what can happen is that eventually that sort of um, self liberates or, or, or um, dissolves and gives way to a much deeper sense of joy and um, wellness in the in the body, in the physical body, which can feel like an upwelling, um, almost from like the root chakra moving up. Um, much less of that kind of bubbly energy of, of rapture and much more just um, like a full saturation of the body in a sense of contentment and okayness. Um, so that's bliss or um, sukha, sometimes referred to as sukha. And then all of this leads to uh, one-pointedness or samadhi. So the capacity then for everything to get much more like laser focused, yeah? So, you know, things, discursive thoughts starts to fall away. Um, you may even lose sense of sounds or, or bodily sensations. And the mind just becomes really, really sharp, like a laser, um, in which anything can arise and pass and sort of just be seen for what it is. So that's the space where insight can really begin to happen. Not that we can't do insight practices outside of that space, but um, it's, a, it's a very, very solid conditioning factor. It's like having a really clean, well-lit laboratory <laughs> with all the right equipment available to you. And you're in like your perfect little starch, iron <coughs> lab coat. <laughs> That's actually really, I need to remember that metaphor because it's really good. It is what it, what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> but it's not hard. It's not harsh. I guess that's something to say. Because that, that, that metaphor can sound kind of harsh, but it's not like that. It's as if your laboratory was like um, lit with, with like really nice soft lighting. <laughs> like reds and blues. Okay, enough of that. Um, so those are the five factors. Um, that are present, you know, when we're in Dhyana. I don't, I don't even know if it's appropriate to put it that way, but are present when, um, you could say, when more expansive mental states are present and there is awareness of such mental states. So the awareness of the mental state is, is very important. So we know, one knows that this is what's happening. So 
I'd like to lead us in a practice just to give us a sense of this, um, and then we'll do a bit of inquiry around it, so you can set yourself up in your posture. Um, if you've already closed your eyes, just noticing where the mind goes naturally. And then closing the eyes when you feel ready. So we'll just begin by noticing what's here now. what's coming in through the senses. Inviting a very open, curious attitude. We'll just begin by doing a bit of grounding, so noticing points of contact with the floor. Connecting to the stillness of the earth beneath us. Maybe even drawing that stillness up into the body through the breath. So on the in-breath, drawing the stillness up. And on the out-breath, just imagining that stillness saturating the whole body, the whole mind, the whole heart. Noticing any tension in the legs or the hips. And just seeing if you can't release a bit further into the earth. Just really trusting the ground to hold you. And then from this solid foundation, the upper body rising up into space. Aware of the lower back 
middle back and upper back. Allowing the shoulders to fall down and away from the ears. And the arms to hang loosely, easily out of the shoulders. Well supported. Breathing into any places of tension in the neck and shoulders. Encouraging softness and ease here. Soft throat, soft jaw. Soft cheeks, soft eyes. Soft forehead. A face that's completely relaxed and open. And then briefly just bringing attention to the heart center. Just aware of how it is just now. Any emotional tone of your experience and just allowing it to be as it is. So not leaving anything out. So you may have naturally begun to direct the mind to the breath. If you haven't, just beginning to now bring the mind to the breath. And hold it there. getting really interested in the breath as a process. How is it? As it comes and goes. What's its shape? Temperature? its quality.
And if you get distracted, just noticing that something has taken the mind away from the breath. And also really being curious about that function that allows you to come back. Redirecting the mind. How amazing that we can do that. So as we direct the mind to the breath, and as we sustain attention there, we can become more and more aware of all of the subtle sensations in the body as we breathe. The breath begins to take on its own form. And we feel it throughout the whole of the body. And can we allow this process to calm the body? And as we become more aware of sensations in the body, the calming of the body, we can also begin to wake up to pleasant sensations in the body, even very subtle sensations. So 
just allowing these sensations to be known in this space of awareness. A gentle tingling, a sense of heat rising in the body, or even maybe more of a gross bubbling up of energy. Just seeing if you can't find any seeds of release in your experience, a taste of freedom. I'm beginning to breathe with that experience, breathing into it, just allowing it to really be experienced, really be known. Not denying ourselves, the pleasant, but allowing it to nourish us. Really enjoying the fruits of our practice. And if you're not in touch with any sensations like that, It's fine just to stay with the breath. Even just breathing can be quite pleasurable in the body. We can also notice what the mind does So whatever's happening, just notice what you're telling yourself about your experience. And then very gently redirecting the mind to those pleasant sensations or to the breath. Coming back to the raw sensation just now. And then it may be that even in this short span of time, you are touching into a deeper sense of joy or contentment, peace or feeling at ease. And if that's there, just dwelling with that, breathing with that, allowing that to grow and spread to fill the whole of your body the whole of your mind. Really letting joy in fully. without trying to make anything happen.
How is the mind just now? What is its quality? What is the flavor of this experience? So we'll just end with a short poem. Just off the highway to Rochester, Minnesota, twilight bounds softly forth on the grass. And the eyes of those two Indian ponies darken with kindness. They have come gladly gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into that pasture where they have been grazing all day alone. They ripple tensely. They can hardly contain their happiness that we have come. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. At home, once more, they begin munching the young tufts of spring in the darkness. I would like to hold the slenderer one in my arms, for she has walked over to me and muzzled and nuzzled my left hand. She is black and white. Her mane falls wild on her forehead, and the light breeze moves me to caress her long ear that is delicate as the skin over a girl's wrists. Suddenly I realize that if I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom. Okay, so I'd like to invite you to, um, you can stay in the meditative space while you do this. So this is one of the teachings of Insight Dialogue is that we can continue to be in that space together with others. Um, so if you have resistance to talking just now, you can just watch that. That's really interesting. You know, you know that we, maybe we have this sense that meditation is this sort of um, protected private space that we have to hold on to, but actually we can't hold on to it. And for the purposes of learning, we're not going to. Um, So yeah, so turn to someone next to you and whoever's working with um, Helen, oh, I guess you could just, yeah, you don't need the mic. I guess you could just be near her and speak with her, yeah. 
So um, yeah, turn to someone next to you and just say a little bit about what you noticed during that practice in your direct experience. So what did you notice in your direct experience during that practice? Just for a few minutes, so not major detail, but just direct experience. <coughs> Might be more comfortable for you. I don't speak very loudly. Okay, good. Okay, so is there um, anybody? Oh, yeah, great, thanks. So, is there anybody who shared something with their group that um, sounded like it was really interesting and it might be interesting to share it with me and the larger group? you notice during the practice? The word just came to me, but I think it's the environment here. Yeah. Meditating together, I just mm. always really enjoy it, so I just felt that mm. serene. You felt serene. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah okay. Inside, but the inside, can you speak up a bit? Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, insightful came into my mind as well, but mm. I think I needed a bit more time to yeah, sure. um, sustain. You say direct and sustain. Yeah. Um, because it was a little bit weird before, so probably needed a bit of time. There must have been something. Yeah. Why so I think of that particular thought. There must have been what? A, a reason you know, why, why I was focused on that particular thought. On what thought? <laughs> no, but you thought you felt like there was an insightful thought. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it was coming together, but then Something yeah. was coming together. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to Serene. So if I was an alien from outer space and I didn't know what that meant, how would you describe it to me? Just quite mellow, um, maybe that blissful feeling they were talking about, but not as exaggerated. Just like yeah, just really relaxed and Comfortable and, and, and where did you feel that in the body? In the heart center? So there was a sense of comfort and ease and relaxation in the heart center. And then how, when you, when you noticed that, so there was a knowing of serenity as an experience, what was your response? How did you kind of Take that in. Um, a little bit surprised that I felt that relaxed actually because so, I felt particularly yeah. relaxed today at work. So. Okay, so you felt oh, surprised because yeah, it was different than yeah. kind of what's come before? Yeah. And then so, what happened? So, so I was just surprised by how nice it felt. Um, yeah, and then mm. I was just enjoying it. And then you enjoyed it? Yeah. Okay. I and then you got distracted, yeah. yeah. And how does it feel just now in the heart center? It's quite light and open. Mm. <coughs> Do you feel like you could reconnect to that sense of serenity? 
often um, maybe just to extend my meditation practice in the morning because I think I could get that more often if I just um, dedicated a bit more time hmm. um, to the practice. So that was a 20 minute practice? <coughs> so um, yeah, I just want to really encourage everyone to believe <laughs> that uh, you can do this. Yeah? So we have the capacity to find serenity within 20 minutes from a very busy, stressed out work day to, to now. Yeah? That's with us all the time. We don't lose that capacity. It's just, it's the remembering that's the hard part. So I'll tell you a little brief story. When I first moved to Manchester, some of you will know this. Um, I found it really difficult that it was so freaking cold and wet and <laughs> dark all the time. And um, I don't know how, how long it took me to realize. I, kind, I actually had to say to myself, come on, Singer, you know how to create happiness and joy within your being without being dependent on external conditions. And literally, it takes sitting and doing this kind of focused practice for 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> So we can um, soothe ourselves, we can nurture ourselves, and we have the, those tools just with, available all the time. Were you going to say something? Um, yeah. Uh, the strong thing that came through was the idea um, that as beings, we, we, we are probably unique actually, in Left in, in drifting awareness away and then bringing it back. Yeah, so you were and aware of the okay. capacity to, for yeah. the mind to wander and for you to be able to bring it back. Yeah, but, but also to sit with that feeling and, and, and realize how wonderful it was. Yeah. You know, how, how unusual it is. So you were dwelling in the kind of um, sort of awesomeness of that capacity. There's that, but the other phrase you used as well at the end was um, like, look at it as a muscle. That mm. kind of thing. It needs to be developed like this. Yeah. And I, I think that could be really, really quite a strong thing for me. Yeah, so you were struck by, I'm, I'm repeating for Helen, so, and also yeah, yeah, to yeah, check yeah, for understanding. Yeah, yeah. So you're struck by the fact that we can intentionally build the, that capacity and strengthen it. And quickly. And do that quickly, yeah. yeah. Because, like you said, we've done you know, serenity in 18 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. How, how much more if you just sort of drop? that kind of flavor mm. into your practice, mm. Mm. you see. And did you, really and did you yourself have a direct experience of dropping into something more real and serene in your experience, to use that word? Today? Yeah, just now in this practice. Um, no, it was a bit jumpy, but it was okay. Yeah. Because I kept thinking about what you said to bring it back, bring it back, yeah. bring it back. Yeah, that's all right, and that's good, and that's how we are. Yeah, that's right. So there's something about waking up to how we are, and it being okay how we are. Yeah, so the fact that perhaps the mind is just as, was just as busy in this sit as in any other sit that came before, but actually what, what shifted for you in the relationship to that experience was actually dropping the additional layer of, there must be something wrong with me that I can't sustain my attention on the breath. And not being so hard on me. And not being and so hard on yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. 
So that's a really big insight, isn't it? It's like, actually, we don't need to add the second, we don't need to shoot the second arrow. We can just be with, um, be with that experience in its fullness, which includes the ability to come back. So we focus so much on the fact that we got distracted that we don't even notice that we've woken up in that moment. <laughs> it's like this beautiful moment of awakening and awareness and light coming through the darkness and we completely miss it. Good. All right, on that note, I think we should um, have some tea. And I'm wondering if we can be back by 8.30 sharp. Yeah? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you to the um, bell ringers. <laughs> I myself was deep in conversation. Okay, so there's this whole um, world in uh, Buddhism the world of feelings, nothing more than feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good, actually, because it's true. Um, it's really, you know, again, we're just so basic. It just all comes down to, um, we're like, uh, have you ever seen those um, sea anemones in tide pools? They're so receptive yeah. and sensitive, and as soon as you touch them, they just mm -hmm. retract, and then slowly they open again. Um, so we're pretty much like that. <laughs> so there's only really three kinds of feelings, um, sensations, and uh, they fall into the category of unpleasant, pleasant, and neutral. Um, and we can yeah, we can just explore that. I mean, it's such a rich area to look into in our practice. Um, because the, you know, feelings are the beginning and end of everything, really. I mean, it's, it's what, the unconscious sort of reaction to feeling is what causes all of the problems in the world. You know, everything, strife, war, um, hatred, frustration. So, you know, we're just deeply sensitive beings. We're so sensitive. Um, and we just sort of spend our whole lives kind of coping. So we like build up all of these protective mechanisms to protect that sensitive spot, that, that tenderness. And um, that's like, I think Viveka refers to it as like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. So we're just kind of like negating the truth of the matter, which is that, you know, we can't live out life in a kind of hermetically sealed little capsule. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just, we're, we're totally connected to everything. So um, we can't not feel pain. We can't um, protect ourselves from that. It will happen. And also pleasure, you know, being alive is, can be deeply pleasurable. And then there's that like in-between place neutrality. Um, Vijimal and I are in an ongoing and what I believe will be lifelong debate about whether or not there's even such thing as neutral Vedana because um, 
we do a lot of this in breath works, kind of looking at, at the Vedana. And um, whenever we you know, invite people to look at neutral Vedana, they, they report back that as soon as they turn their awareness to it, there is either something yeah. pleasurable mm-hmm. or, not, or unpleasant in, that, in, in what's there. So um, one of the things that I've been wondering about is if neutrality, if when the Buddha talked about neutrality, what he meant was all of that um, feelings that we're not yet aware of, whether they're neutral whether we find them pleasant or unpleasant. So there's a whole area of um, feeling that is kind of dull and tuned out. It's sort of on the edges, on the periphery that we're not letting in. And then as we open to that, maybe we become aware of whether we like it or not. Um, or maybe it's just areas that we're, um, that just don't, in a way, it's like it doesn't ca- catch our attention. It's not, it's not loud enough. It's not interesting enough, so we can get more interested. So I think boredom is like a really interesting area to explore. Mm-hmm. And solitary retreat is a great opportunity to just let yourself get really bored. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, the ego wants projects. It wants things to do. It wants things to make it feel like it's real. And it's got a job and that it's a useful thing. Um, and when we, when things start to open up, and we sort of drop into being more, being with, allowing, um, what can happen is there can be this kickback. So the ego is like, wait, but I need something to do. Give me something to do. And that can be quite uncomfortable to sit, to hold the tension. So part of being with boredom and meditation, in particular, I think this is really important, is to. Um, well, we could ask ourselves, you know, what do I not want to be with right now? That's an interesting question. What, what, I, what can't I be with in my experience right now that I need to do something to get away from it or that the ego doesn't want to be with? Mm-hmm. And then maybe you could just kind of, um, you, could just, you could even look in your own experience, like you could scan the body, like where is the sensation now? How is it just now? So, you know, we have, everything starts in the body. So we have experiences that come through the sense doors and then we either want them or don't want them. And then we set up a whole react chain reaction. So the reactive mind is habituated to either push away um, things that we don't want, things that are unpleasant, or, or, or pull towards, crave, grasp at um, experiences that we want, that we think will bring us happiness um, and pleasure. So what we're doing is we're sort of, in practice, we're rewiring the brain. So we're, and actually neuroscience is starting to um, support this. So we're actually, um, we can change our brain and we can rewire so that um, we're using more and more of the creative mind. So we're using more and more of, rather than strategizing a way out of samsara, (laughs) which actually um, ironically creates more samsara. So that's interesting. Um, we, we're just training ourselves to be more and more with, it's like you're backing into the Vedana, so you're backing up from, okay, I had this reaction, I'm in whatever I'm in, the, the mental proliferation, thought process, anger, resentment, fear, whatever comes up in response to the initial Vedana, and then we can kind of backtrack to like, well, what was the actual raw sensation before all of that kind of adding on to labeling? Even to the point where we can um, 
I can say from my own direct experience that we can back up enough that we no longer experience unpleasant vedanas, unpleasant. So we can actually get to a point where something that would normally be quite unpleasant, we can just be with, and it can just be a sensation. Maybe that's what neutrality is. It's just, well, that's equanimity, isn't it? You're just with it as it is without pushing away or pulling towards. And then even the, the label unpleasant can drop away. And it's just sensation. And then even, and I know this can be hard to believe, it can even become pleasant. <laughs> you don't believe me, do you? <laughs> so I'll give you a really mundane experience. So strimmers in parks. Uh, I live across the street from a park. And every morning, exactly at the time that I sit to meditate, they turn on the strimmers. <laughs> they turn on the strimmers. The strimmers, yeah. You know, and it actually does undulate and has like, you know, there's a lot to a strimmer, to the sound of a strimmer. <laughs> but uh, there are moments when I'm concentrated enough where I can open to that experience and get beyond the kind of unpleasantness of the sound and just feel the vibration in my body. And it's quite pleasant, actually. And I can get into quite a lot of dhyana that way. So, you know, you could try it out. Next time you hear something really unpleasant, just get really interested in the sound and really interested in what it actually is and just allow it in. Like you can imagine like listening through all the cells in your body and just see what happens. It can be really fascinating. You might just get really, really annoyed. <laughs> and then that's interesting in and of itself. So, um, so that's it. That's Vedna. That's pretty much like the mechanics of it. And so what we're doing is we're, we're rewiring so that we can, when we're able to sort of hold that experience in kind of a bigger container and just be with the direct sensate experience of Vedana, then what we're doing is we're creating space. So it's like, um, well, it's often referred to as the gap between feeling and craving. Because craving, so craving and aversion are just two sides of the same coin. So, you know, when we're having aversion, we're actually craving a different experience than the one we're having. So it's that gap between the feeling, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and craving something other than that experience, or craving more of that experience in the case of pleasant. So we're, we're creating a gap, we're wedging, we're putting a wedge between the, the, the direct sense of experience and then the movement either towards or away, so that we can then choose what we're gonna do. So it's like the responsive, creative mind can, has room to operate. It's like you're giving yourself room to just actually make a choice rather than reinforcing the habit. So we're either, this is also very interesting to reflect on, we're either reinforcing habits or changing them. We're never statically going through the world in a karmically neutral way. So every, every kind of Vedana that's coming in, the way we are with that Vedana is either reinforcing a habit or creating a new one. Yes, would, would, you, would you say, like, crave food, you know, crave to overeat, you know, to eat goodies, would you say that was the same? Yeah, would that's that a great, you would put that that's a great example. Ground? Yeah, so our relationship to food is a fantastic working ground. So we can just watch how we are around food. I mean, we have to eat. We have to eat to live. But, how, you know, how are you in relationship to that? Mm -hmm. So that whole thing of, like, wanting wanting another, you know, another piece of chocolate. Yeah, and the next yeah. thing you know, you've eaten the whole box of chocolates. Yeah, you didn't even enjoy yeah. the pieces you were eating because you were already fantasizing about the next one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many of you 
you sit down for a meal and plan the next meal you're going to have while you're eating the one you're eating. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Okay, good. So thanks for that. It's a very good example. Food. Um, okay, so we'll just do another lead practice, just exploring this. Um, and then we'll have another period of inquiry. Settling back into our posture. Contacting the earth beneath us. And the spaciousness of the sky above. And if you were able to contact a sense of stillness, openness, clarity, serenity, sensitivity in the last practice, you can trust that that's still there. So just reconnecting with what was there before through the breath through our relationship with the breathing body. So first, just opening to unpleasant <coughs> sensations. To just noticing first, if you're aware of unpleasant sensations in the body. Maybe there's a pain in the knee or the back or the neck. Maybe there's a sense of tiredness. Or tightness somewhere. Or maybe there's an unpleasant sound. Just 
So just seeing if you can't connect with the raw sensation. Before thought, before labels, what's actually happening? Turning towards that experience with a kind curiosity. If you're working with pain in the body, can you look at what it actually is? What are the direct sensate experiences that we call pain? Maybe it's not as solid as we think. And then if we're resisting the experience, what is the nature of that resistance? So how do you experience resistance as an experience? How does it show up in the body, in the thoughts? Breathing into the resistance itself. What would the sensations be like without the resistance? Can we relax into and allow them to be as they are?
So moving from exploring unpleasant to allowing pleasant experiences to arise in our awareness. Could even scan the body, scan the sense doors for pleasant experience. It could be anything as subtle as just a sense of being well fed or well rested. Satisfaction of breathing. Gentle tingling in the body. Vibration of sound in the body. Sense of warmth, peace, expansiveness. And just dwelling with the pleasant. And also noticing if there's any tendency to grasp for more, want it to last. Just noticing any flavor of craving in the experience. Just seeing if you can't come back to the raw sensation before the craving. Just backing up into uncooked sensations before labels, before thought. Can we just allow there to be pleasant Vedana? Without any sense (coughs) of grasping after
or wanting more. And then finally, just looking to see if there's anywhere in the body where you're not aware of sensation, or where you sense dull sensation. And just bringing the awareness there and getting curious about what's happening there. So maybe it's a sense of pressure under the legs or the sitting bones. Clothing against the skin. Back of the ears or the elbows. tip of the nose. How is it to not know what's there? Or if we find something there, how quickly do we label it as pleasant or unpleasant? And then what happens? So for the last few moments of the practice, just holding the fullness of our experience in broad open awareness, allowing all feelings, unpleasant, pleasant and neutral to arise and pass away in their own way, in their own time. And just watching the mind watching the mental processes around sensation, the habits we form, 
as we experience sensations, maybe even new habits just now, being more creative, just being aware of that as well, if that's happening. Okay, so we'll do another round of um, inquiry around that practice. So again, just a few minutes to talk in pairs about what you noticed in your direct experience during that practice, and then we'll just hear from a few folks, and that'll be the end. Yeah, I'll ring a bell halfway through. Okay, so, yes, you have something, Maria. <laughs> I want to ask a question um, about our thoughts. It is the mind one of the sensations and our thoughts? Yeah, yeah. good. So I just want to so, clear um, There's a clarifying question about whether thoughts have a sense of being unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral. Mm -hmm. So do you experience your thoughts as unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral? Mm -hmm. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's one of the senses. It's one of the yeah. senses, yeah. 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 And, um, you know, you can. it's a very rich area to explore as well. So a thought comes in, do you like it, do you not like it, do you not care? And can you kind of explore your reaction to that in the same way you would the sensation? And actually also interesting with thoughts, um, you could look for where you feel the thought in the body. So oftentimes thoughts manifest, well I would say in my experience, anytime I look for this, the raw sensation of a thought in the body, it is there somewhere. And then can I just experience that? So it's backing in, again, backing into the Vedana. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. So, um, so what what Raphael was saying is that we're we're much more kind of the ego is much more interested in identifying with thoughts and and emotions than it is with direct sensate experience. So I think I said in week one, someone said something about being frustrated for because he was thinking, and I said well, we don't get frustrated because we hear the sound of a bird. <laughs> it's the exact same phenomenon. 
it's a, an object arising in a sense. So it's, the thought is an object arising in a sense of the mind, but we identify with it. And we, we create a whole story and person out of it. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but without getting into too much more discussion, I'm really interested to hear what you noticed in that practice and uh, maybe do a bit of inquiry. Um, Pe- oh, sorry, Dr. Priya sorry. had his hand up. So, sorry, and sorry, then we'll sorry. go to you. Sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Priya. It's okay. Seemed like a street cleaning machine was going past. Yes, the street cleaning machine. Like I could make if I if I imagine that that was the wind. Yeah. In a wild kind of place. Yeah. Rather than a street cleaning machine. <laughs> yes. It, it sort of merged on the pleasant. Yes, good. It's like the view I put to whatever the experience <coughs> was sort of changed it. Good. So. Uh, Apex Shapiro was just describing that when the street cleaner, cleaner came, which is, I actually arranged for the street cleaner. <laughs> um, it, if you imagine that it was the sound of the wind in the trees, then it became pleasant. So he, was, he became very uh, conscious of how as soon as we kind of label and decide we know what something is and whether we decided that we like that something or not, then that can affect the quality of it and how we experience it. It's really good. That's so, I mean, that is like the key to everything, what you just said. What's the difference between that and aversion? Could could you think of that as a way of avoiding by turning it into something Well, I think my sense of what he was saying was that um, he was aware, (coughs) so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he was aware that if you put a different label on it, the actual experience itself became pleasant. Yeah. So he was sort of playing with the idea of what if I thought of it as something else. And that's, that's a creative way, actually, okay. of working with the mind, isn't it? Because we could do that with someone, you know, someone we don't like walks into a room. Just play, imagine you love that person and see if that changes your experience of them. <laughs> right? It's the exact same function. We're actually doing the exact same thing with our brain, like, in terms of wiring. <laughs> um, hold on, we, I, I wanted to hear from you because you... Uh, actually, an example just then, <laughs> he looked, point, point, I thought you were pointing at me, you were pointing at Pe- Prayer, <coughs> and I was just then a feeling of wanting to push something away, the old oh dear, how embarrassing, you know, everyone oh. thinks I'm jumping in, and then I, it suddenly occurred to me, hang on a minute, that's... That's just a thought. So you felt embarrassed and you thought, oh wait, that's just what I do. That I don't have to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But what I was going to say was that right at the end, I couldn't find a part of my body that I wasn't aware of. Mm. Although I did feel like I had neutral feelings towards, say, my feet, for example, but I wasn't unaware of of them and I couldn't find Mm. anywhere that was sort of, you know, dull or Mm. in the background. So you were aware of your feet? Yeah, well, yeah, aware of everything. Maybe yeah. it's just because, maybe it's just because I was trying to think of somewhere that I wasn't aware of, and in doing so, that, I became aware yeah. of everything. If you see what okay, so close your eyes for a second. Yeah. Are you aware of your elbows? Uh, I am now. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, so right now you're having a thought, elbow. Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to actually investigate whether you can feel any sensations <coughs> in the elbows, in the, at the t- very tip of the elbow, the bony tip of the elbow. If I 
try I can, but it's not something that's there naturally. But if I stop and think, can I feel something within my elbow? Yeah. So what is the feeling at the tip of the elbow? Or a feeling of sort of um, the air against my elbows and a sort of slight yeah. feeling of movement. Okay, good. So this is, I don't know what was going on for you in relationship to the foot or whether or not you were actually completely in touch with sensations in every single part of your body. So I'm, I'm just going to use you as an example, um, even though this may or may not be what was happening for you. So sometimes what can happen is we can think, we can think of a part of the body and confuse thinking of it as the same thing as being aware of it as in aware in our direct experience. Okay. So the tip of the nose is a really good place to do this example because oftentimes actually there isn't a lot going on in the tip of the nose. And so we think, well, I'm aware of it. I am thinking about it. But actually, are we really directing our attention to what's going on there? And then when we do that, what is actually going on there? <laughs> <laughs> And um, this is great in meditation with full body awareness because what you begin to wake up into is that the body is not this solid fixed thing that we imagine it to be. It's actually just a whole load of sort of sensations coming and going all the time. It's like, you know, beep, 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 <laughs> and, and even you could get to a point where you can't even locate them necessarily. So that would, that's just something you could do as part of your homework this week. <laughs> Did you have something, Rich? Yeah, it was, it was just exactly that, really, which is when we were sharing afterwards, um, I was saying to Maria that I've got an ongoing pain in my right knee. Oh, yeah, pain in the knee. Um, which is, yeah, which is, is coming up because I'm sitting on cushions right now. But then when you encouraged us to look more closely at the unpleasant sensations, I was glad you did that because when I begin to look more closely, it begins to break up. Yeah. It starts to sort of shimmer or something. It's mm -hmm. like shimmering energy or something. Yeah. And then it began to get really hard to to get a sense of okay, well, where does this start and end? Yeah. And and at what point do I decide this is unpleasant? Yeah, it, good. It became really mysterious. Yeah. Like, you know, at some point I've decided I've got a pain in my knee, but yeah, at great. What point, at what point do I do I decide that? So you're aware that of the pain in your knee, which is already an idea. You went to that idea. Mm. You started to investigate the direct experience. Mm. You found that it was much more elusive and mm. ungraspable mm. than you thought it was. And then you couldn't even find at what point do you mm. actually label it pain in the knee mm. and that it becomes this thing. Yeah, mm. that's great. I mean, all of that learning you can apply to everything. The pain is such a great teacher because it's so, it's so concrete and in terms of an experience that we think we're having. And then when we look at it, it's so not that, that concrete thing. So we can do that with, every, with thoughts, with emotions, with whole stories that we've been living with our whole lives. So that's great. Thanks for that. So we have to stop there. Um, but yeah, we, what we're going to do next week is um, Simna Deepa will lead a practice again and then we're, we're going to dedicate again like half the class to Insight Dialogue. So you could go home tonight and write down more of what you experienced this evening and bring it back to next week's Insight Dialogue group and explore it with the group. That's what the group is there for, is to bring these, these very things so that they can get explored in much more depth and dialogue with others. So I want to encourage you to do 40 minutes a day of this kind of practice of exploring Vedana. Keep your meditation diaries going. And also read chapter two on feelings if you're following along in the book. All right, good. Have a good week. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.